Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who just wants to phone home. It's Palmer. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. I'm doing quite well. Ready to talk about the 1983 Best Picture nominees. What about you? Yay! Yeah, great. All right. They are as follows. The Verdict, Missing, Tootsie, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, and Gandhi. Palmer, what won Best Picture? Gandhi? Gandhi is correct. Gandhi won Best Picture, so we're going to go in the order to which I just wrote and said all of those things. Let's start with the verdict. Okay. Direct- we'll start with the verdict. Excellent. What is the verdict? Uh, it's a movie. Gotcha. All right, good. Uh, directed- is this the one that had puppetry in it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Directed by Sidney Lumet, written by David Mamet, based on the play by Barry Reed, starring Paul Newman, James Mason, and Charlotte Rampling. Sorry, I didn't say that right. James Mason. There, I said it right. There we go. Nominated for Best Picture, actor for Newman, supporting actor for Mason, director, and adapted screen play this movie won no awards mason was the devil in heaven can wait right yes yes he was he was yeah who's the opposite attorney in this okay yeah just want to make sure i have the right guy yeah most of my i mean james mason was pretty famous but most of my knowledge of james mason actually comes from um eddie izzard stand-up because he always uses james mason as like his voice for god or something like that he's like james or jesus he always uses it as for jesus he's always like i'm jesus i'm james mason and he, I don't know why that's where he, where he Which lands. Which is weird, because I don't, because James Mason played several biblical people, and not one of them was Jesus. He played Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, mm-hmm. he played the devil, mm-hmm. and then I believe he played um, somebody else, which I'm going to look up while you're telling me more about this movie. Excellent. The story is about a Boston lawyer, played by Paul Newman, who sees the chance to salvage his career and self-respect by taking a medical malpractice case to trial rather than settling. Um, so I kind of enjoyed this movie. I it was it was it was almost typical. Like I've seen a lot of movies like it before, where it's like I'm a lawyer who's down on his luck and I'm addicted to the bottle. But now there's a case presented in front of me that everyone just thinks that I'll take just to settle. But it turns out it's a bigger deal than what I thought it was, and we're gonna go to trial because it'll be more dramatic that way, right? Yeah, it was a few good men. We saw it last episode. Yeah, right. Yeah. So apart from the the bottle bit, but the, it's kind of the it follows a very it follows the the typical formula that has been in play for for a long time already so going back to the movie i didn't find that there was anything in it that i was like oh wow i'm like how intriguing um or how good i guess the the big the two big things for us i mean it takes place in boston which you know where you can tell because everybody's irish in the movie everybody's irish except paul newman you know nope he's like i'm a boston lawyer then why don't you have an accent or are you irish but oh but i'm addicted to the bottle oh well then you must be Bostonian. Uh, yeah. you must be irish right so um so there's so it takes place in boston filmed in boston for the most part which was fun um for us as locals and mm-hmm. was it it was i looked yeah okay. there's a few new york things like they a couple of new york um settings and blah 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 but a lot of the exteriors were actually boston which was which was okay. fun um and then um and so their big thing is that the 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 malpractice case is um is at a hospital that is 
is um that is owned i want to say owned by um by the archdiocese of boston the catholic church there so so that makes like the stakes just a little bit higher because it's you know it's it's 80s catholic boston you know it's um pre uh, it's like the mafia yeah and not the mafia necessarily but um but you know it's a it's a bigger deal to go up against the church in 80s boston than it than it is um post crisis in the early 2000s um so um so yeah so what did you what did you think uh yeah, you know it was good for the most part it definitely it definitely broke the mold for me as far as typical courtroom drama why is that because there's no like there's no legal grandstanding that's true it is a pretty straight laced i mean apart from the size and grandeur of the courtroom they're like that's not what like for a case like this like why why are you using that like why are you using that big room but i think that every time i see a movie with um a, a movie with a courtroom the only time i don't <laughs> think that is weirdly 2003's daredevil when you see him in the courtroom at the beginning and you're like that's a courtroom windowless gross just four walls and a judge's bench that's a courtroom um yeah but there's no like legal grandstanding like you couldn't like there's no there's no quotes that come out of the trial Right. Oh, so there's no like, like this is my last stand. I'm going to plead my case here, and everyone will be on my right. side. Or like, I'll there's trick no the guy on the stand to say. Yeah, the thing there, I want there's to say. none of that. There's no, um, there's no like memorable closing remarks, like in To Kill a Mockingbird. Yep, it's just you know, a trial. Maybe that actually remind that actually might be a fine reason as to how I do not remember the end of this movie. Like, I I literally do everyone not dies. know if he wins or loses. I'm sure. Or if he regains his dignity. I found it just like I found it good while I was watching it, but it's been several weeks since I've seen it now. Um, yeah, just the way that we've had to record this episode, and um, I just just don't remember. Like James I Mason, remember. James Mason does a really good job. Paul Newman's fine, but I he's been much better. And I've seen Paul many Newman other things. It, he he is a serviceable Paul Newman, which always means yeah. that he delivers the goods. But you've seen him deliver more high quality goods. In yeah, and the fact that. It's the fact that it's a David Mamet written thing, like it, it, it tends to focus on Paul Newman's kind of issues. Mm-hmm. He does have issues. Then, yeah. Then what, like the story that it seems like it it should be presenting. That's right. I I felt that in some ways it was very. Mu- I mean, this is made afterwards, but it was very much like Spotlight. But if Spotlight, they all had drinking issues, and that was the focus instead of. <laughs> and that was all they cared about. And that the was movie. all they cared about the movie. But also, yeah. we're doing this investigation. And you're like, oh, okay, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, because this is a two. This is about a two hour movie, maybe maybe a little bit over. And I was texting you when I was watching it, and I was like, it, it was like a hour in already and they hadn't even gone into a courtroom yeah that's right that is correct i was like this is this is the least amount of courtroom in a courtroom drama i have ever seen since a few good men because <laughs> they also don't go to a courtroom very um very often in that movie but but yeah. but i mean all that being said like it's a it's a it's a serviceable movie it's it's definitely good enough to watch if you if you want to watch like a Paul Newman movie that that you might not have seen before, or if you're a fan of James Mason or Jack Warden. Um, I, that's it. I don't think there's anything wrong in this movie. It is just a completely serviceable film. Like yeah. the end. And yeah. And I guess that's part where like you know where you're looking at best pictures and you're like, all right, um, but why then? Uh, I'm gonna go on a limb and say there were only like seven movies made in 1982. Well, I. 
I think then it's time for our favorite segment of what else came out that year. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Dun, 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 Hilariously, dun, dun, when dun. you look that up on Google, the second movie that comes up is The Verdict. Is The Verdict. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fanny Alexander, The Verdict, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, St. Elsewhere, The Last Unicorn, um, Sophie's Choice. Aw, uh, how was Sophie's Choice not nominated? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Creepshow, The Beastmaster, Annie, Grease 2. Um, I could, yeah, you know, I could see where we were going with these <laughs> nominees now. Like, <laughs> The Dark Crystal. <laughs> Uh, an officer and a gentleman. Silent Rage. Oh, The King of Comedy came out this year. Twist. There are some movies that I'm surprised are not actually nominated. Like, for some reason, I would have thought Officer and a Gentleman. Mm-hmm. I would have thought The King of Comedy, because isn't that a Scorsese film? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, uh, Poltergeist, The Thing, Swamp Thing, uh, Tron. That's a really good movie for horror. So yeah. Far. Blade Runner. Did you say Tron? Tron, yeah. yeah. Well, we know why Blade Runner wasn't nominated. Yeah, yeah. Nobody saw it. Nobody saw it that year. Nope. Um, E.T., Halloween 3, Conan the Barbarian. Marion, um, The Toy. Ooh, bad movie. That's not a terrible movie. Um, Diner, and uh, I think I'm kind of, yeah, I'm running out, I'm running low. All right, so. Yeah, so there wasn't many. No, there was not. The Secret of Nim. Uh, Star Trek. Oh, Secret Wrath of, of Nim? Yeah, really? Yeah, Secret of Nim. Wrath of Khan came out. How was Wrath of Khan not nominated? It's a, it's a subgenre. It's, it's a genre movie. I don't care. 1982 Oscar, Oscar, uh, yeah. nomination committee. You gotta get your act together. Yeah. Um, Go back and fix it. This. First Blood. Um, yeah, that's pretty much. That's pretty much it. I'm, I'm running. So I'm running. Definitely, low. it was a genre year. It seemed definitely huge genre year. By God, yeah. Well, yeah. Forbidden World, Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, some great films came out of that year. Like really, yeah, really the strong. Con, yeah, the thing. Those are. I mean, those are. I mean, if to your taste, people people like First Blood. Not my style. Yeah. Blah blah blah. The, um, the Sophie's Choice joke doesn't get old. You know. Yeah. Like so, it's, Halloween three. The 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 search for Spock the sequel the sequel where they were like we don't need the actual main villain in it and Halloween three the search for Michael Myers turns out he wasn't in this movie at all yeah although it's that movie's been getting some uh, getting some, some traction yeah. the past co- pa- yeah. past couple of years I just watched it last year and uh, I can see why people didn't like it yeah I th- well, I, th- I mean if you get over the fact that Michael Myers isn't in it it's not terrible right. it's actually a pretty serviceable film as yeah. But it's just not as good as like, can the you, verdict. Apparently, it's not good as it's not anywhere close to Halloween one or two. No, and I think that that's also because Carpenter's not there. Right, of course. Yeah, he doesn't come back for any. Does he come back for? No, he doesn't come back again until until his. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. All right. I mean, let's talk about. But uh, yeah, oh, let's so, talk about some fun facts for the verdict. Yeah, so fun facts on the verdict. Uh, they're about as dull as uh, the movie <laughs> tend to be. Uh, among the people in the courtroom during the dramatic closing speech that that really should be in quotation marks is a young Bruce Willis. Really? Yeah. What's he doing there? Listening to the verdict. The bar where Frank Galvin meets Laura, played by Charlotte Rampling, is the same bar featured in Serpico, where Frank Serpico was introduced to Al, the bagman who will be his new partner. It is located at 108 Avenue B in Manhattan. 
Oh. oh, is that why you questioned whether it was filmed in Boston? Yeah. Or not? Yeah. And Roy Scheider was a favorite for Frank Galvin when director Arthur Hill was involved. I think Roy Scheider would have been a much better... Oh, totally. Totally. You know, uh, Newman's great, and I'm not going to take anything away from Newman, but I don't feel like Newman was giving his all in this movie. I, there were parts I think he was, but I've seen Newman can... He can suck you in just by staring off at the distance. Like, he yeah. doesn't have to do... Like, he doesn't have to say or or move or anything and so in this movie it was just like I'm in a movie um, yeah. which is still good it's, it's like it's still good Paul Newman it's just not great Paul Newman but right. that in sometimes is the tough part about being so revered and so great that like when you don't continually deliver like the greatness then mm-hmm. you know make everything else kind of suffer around it but anyway yeah uh, let's talk about Missing directed by Costa Gavras um, written by Costa Gavras Donald E. Stewart based on the book by Thomas Hauser starring Jack Lemon, Sissy Spacek and John Shea, nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Lemon, and Best Actress for Spacek, uh, and it won, which apparently is supposed to be pronounced Spachik, which um, no, nobody nobody did, so it's Sissy Spacek, um, and won awards uh, adapted screenplay, but in a separate category, um, which I don't know if you, this was in your fun facts, so I didn't write it down. That it was a separate category? That it was a separate category, because there's another movie that won original screenplay that, like, there's a, or, adapt, I don't know. Never mind. Don't worry about me. Oh, so I think in when I when I wrote everything, when I wrote it all down. Hold on. Mm-hmm. I'll, you talk about you talk about this movie after I give the plot and let me look it up because there was something weird with the screenplays this year. But anyway, this is based okay. on a true story. When an idealistic uh, American writer disappears during the Chilean coup in September 1973, his ah, wife and father. Alleged Chilean coup. They never say that it's Chilean coup. Okay. Alleged Chilean coup in September 1973, his wife and father try to find him. What did you think about this movie? This movie, for one, is hard to find. It's not really yeah. anywhere. Um, it is available it on ironically DVD. ironically is missing. <laughs> uh, it is available on DVD. I believe there was a Criterion collection done of it. It is... It is good. Jack Lemon is really good in this movie. Um, and I think that might be because I'm so used to him in a comedy role that seeing him in a drama is a little bit different. And the fact that he, you know, and I'm not saying I never thought he could do drama, but given the, you know, he has really good dramatic chops and he shows them off in this movie. Uh, Lex Luthor <laughs> is not in the movie nearly as much. Um, but John Shea, is, but John Shea was very good when he was in yeah, the movie. Yeah, John Shea was pretty good in it. Um, it's one of those movies told uh, out of order like it keeps going back and forth to when to when John Shea was around and the stuff that happened you know prior to his missing and them trying to get answers from the government mm-hmm. of uh, the South American country and I don't typically love that kind of narrative style uh, I think it's fine here but I will say most of this movie is good and this movie is interesting if for no other reason than if you tend to Aside from this show, whenever I watch a movie, I'll I'll try and look up, you know, the interesting tidbits about the movie. When you go through, and I'll have three of them after, but when you go through and, and try and look at the interesting tidbits of this movie, this, just what the movie is based on, is a thousand times more interesting than this movie could really ever be. Um, but this movie serves as a good jumping on point, you know, to, you know, to hopefully get you to look into, well, this is based on a true story. Let me see, you know, what... what 
what the facts are and if you know was anything omitted or that and it's just like you can go down a rabbit hole there was a, there was you know the book that this movie was based off of uh you can read you can there's facts on it on imdb but it is a very interesting um case that i think you know gives gives some the movie some weight and some staying power on its own but that being said like the movie on its own is pretty good yeah i um i i agree with that assessment i think like i found i found i was i was extremely invested because i didn't know much about the alleged chilean coup in 1973 and i'm sure that people like it tapped into i'm sure that it tapped into something in the in the consciousness a little bit more in 1982 mm-hmm. when it came out because you're yeah because it's not less, that far right away. you're less than 10 years out from what was happening or at least the the you know time that this movie takes place and so it's still very much in the minds of people in some way so you'd be like oh so it, so people, I, so being so far removed from it now that i'm like i needed a little bit more i needed a little bit more information than the movie was than the movie was giving me yes yeah and that is definitely a thing yeah and i i try really hard not to look up stuff when i'm watching the academy movies because we're supposed to watch them on their own merits and i don't want to like peer into your fun facts if like if possible you know like, by by accident right 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 and all that stuff so like by the end like i got the gist i like i got mm-hmm. most of what like i got i got the story with jack lemon right i understood like i understood the the process yeah. of what was happening but like the political landscape behind everything was not it doesn't very do well expressed. as good a job no. yeah it doesn't do a, and i will also say you know spoiler i will also kind of say the same thing about gandhi later on like both of these you really i think really help if you know the political landscape and in some cases i think you might need to know the political landscape yeah. and neither movie wholly addresses it it just gives you chunks and you kind of have to figure out what was going on before that to spark this or after that and what what i will say about gandhi before we get to it in in relation to missing is that gandhi starts with gandhi and ends with gandhi like it's very much it's very much a movie about him within the political landscape that he's kind of driving forward whereas it takes a long time for jack lemon to show up and for the movie to be about him so the movie really is yeah, about the, the political landscape missing is about the politics at the beginning and that's where you're like i'm miss i'm still miss like it's the the way yeah, the, the first, narrative is structured doesn't help yeah me the when first I need to part of this stuff. movie just follows john che you know uh, through, uh doing his thing in, right. in a linear timeline and you start to see some of the political landscape of the south american country but then you don't see enough of it right and that's and, that's, and then jack lemon comes in and then there's even more political stuff that was happening at the same time that is now just being thrown at you and you have no real grasp on what's going and on that's, and that's where i think part of the movie that's like part of the failure of the movie whereas at least gandhi i'm following gandhi from start to finish and yeah. so even if i don't know all of even if i don't know all of the the intricacies of indian history or british history or mm-hmm. all of this stuff or you know india's um uh emancipation from from the uk i at i can at least follow gandhi's emotional journey and you can do right. that with jack lemon but not from the beginning of the movie so like it's it's almost like giving me a different movie at the beginning and doesn't follow through with it like it changes yeah. it changes like i yeah this it, it doesn't this give movie me is enough more, one thing or the other thing th- yeah it's weird i feel like this movie's focus you know after about the first when jack lemon comes in the movie kind of shifts its focus from his son being missing to like the relationship between jack lemon and his son and him like having a 
assumptions about his son that aren't necessarily right and him also having to reconcile um his his thoughts of the government mm-hmm. that he is also finding not to be accurate correct yep. and it's it's a difficult story to tell so i understand why like some things fall by the wayside like i don't know if you could i don't know if you could really knock that out in a movie no and i, I think you could that can be said for a lot of historical historical pieces mm-hmm. and, and this one is a smaller like he's in the terms of like telling the story of history because you're telling the story of a father searching for his son but um but like i just still need a little bit more information and sometimes yeah. you could say that that's on the audience's part right like it's up to the audience to be well educated to to know things but i think if i mean we saw this, this isn't at, like a giant like world history no and i, I think if we if we had seen this in 1982 we probably would have been more well informed um yeah you know if i see if i see a movie about a father searching for his son in iraq in 2004 i would have mm-hmm. been like yeah all right i can follow that no i can follow that like yeah. you know like we're almost 20 years out from it but i can i can i i was aware i am aware enough of what went on mm-hmm. to know what's happening and this is i'm just not aware so yeah so partly on us partly on the film for maybe the the for the longevity foresight to be like i gotta explain some stuff for the people 40 years down the line that won't know uh, yeah but uh, give me some bestow some fun facts okay according to dennis schwartz at Uzis world new movie reviews this one rattled the u.s government so much that upon the film's release in 1982 the then secretary of state alexander haig appointed by ronald reagan was forced to issue indisputable denials of the film's allegation wow wow yeah that's why the film is Nathan- missing yeah nathaniel davis america's ambassador to chile at the time of the coup and the basis of the character played by richard ventura together with two other parties sued thomas hauser costa garvis and universal pictures parent company mca for implying in the film that he and his team were complicit in the disappearance and death of charles horman the suit was dismissed and davis and company lost the suit due to the statute of limitations expiring a lawsuit against hauser was dismissed in january 2007 q a costa garvis said that lou wasserman the head of universal so strongly supported the film he insisted the studio refused to negotiate any financial settlement when the lawsuits were first enacted. Universal withdrew from the film distribution. After they were over, Universal re-released the movie in 2006. Wow, okay. And then, of course, it disappeared again. Yeah. On October 8, 1999, a State Department memo from August 25, 1976 was declassified. It implicated that the CIA might, at best, had a direct role in motivating Pinoche government to murder Charles Horman, and at worst was directly involved in his death. The memo had been released to Joyce Horman 20 years prior, but the information about the State Department's knowledge and involvement had been redacted. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you're right. Mo- like, the after of the movie is even slightly more interesting oh, yeah. than the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But Jack Lemmon was very good. Oh, this movie is this movie is really good, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to Tootsie, directed by Sidney Pollock, written by Larry Garbett, Murray Shizgal, with story by Don McGuire and Larry Gelbert, starring Dustin Hoffman, Jessica Lange, Terry Garr, and Bill Murray. The movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Hoffman, Supporting Actress for Garr, Director, Original Screenplay, Cinematography, Sound, Editing, and Original Song. It won Best Supporting Actress for Jessica Lange. It follows around of Michael Dorsey, played by Dustin Hoffman, who's an unsuccessful actor who disguises himself as a woman in order to get a role on a trashy hospital soap. Have you seen Tootsie before? I have not. Oh, interesting.
interesting, interesting. Um, I had seen parts of it. I'd never seen it from start to finish. And my big takeaway from the end of the movie was, why does this movie keep getting compared to Mrs. Doubtfire? Because apart from two actors uh, dressing up a- in the oppo- in in an opposite gender, that's really where they end. <laughs> that's like the end uh, of the Having romantic interest in the woman that they're helping. I guess, yeah. But that's not even real. That's not even really why, that's not really why Robin Williams like dresses up as Mrs. Doubtfire in the first place. It's not to get back together with his wife. It's to see his kids. Like, so the, like, it's, he doesn't, he doesn't like trick her into following for Mrs. Doubtfire romantically. He doesn't trick anybody. They're both but, out of work actors. Yes. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like thin, thin comparisons at best. But anyway, um, how does, Toots, how does Tootsie play in 2021? Not good. You don't think so? No. 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 Nope. Tell me more. I mean, it's a guy dress, a guy who cannot get parts on his own, mm-hmm. dressing up as a woman to steal parts written for women. Yep, yep, yeah. That part don't play well no more. Nope, yep, nope. I agree. I the, the what does still work for me? One, I think everybody in it is very good. Like I think that you know, like if you remove the context of the movie away from itself, then I think Bill Murray's really good. I think, I think Jessica Lange is really good. Yeah, I mean Terry Gar. I think is Terry Gar. She's always she's always good. Yeah. Um and um but uh yeah um I think and I think and I think Hoffman is very good but I think that this movie is a like severe um not s- severe is probably not the right word this movie is absolutely like embedded in third wave feminism right 80s feminism women are at work you know and there's a there's a pa- there's a, a power play and you know men are feeling men are feeling emasculated and like all this stuff and so and that's where that's where Michael Dorsey comes in, right? He's, you know, like he doesn't treat women well. He doesn't treat people well. And by dressing up like a woman and for all intents and purposes, being a woman to, you know, to everyone he works with, what they think, then he learns to be softer, learns to learns to be mellow, to move out of his old standard into the new one. Um, I can see why it hits well in 1982. Yeah, um, it's tough. And I wish I would. I would have seen this movie earlier to kind of to kind of maybe not necessarily not see it through a 2020 lens um but it's just like i don't like his character at all he's not he, he falls into i thought that while i was watching the movie i was like he falls exactly into the category of um character you don't like yeah unlikable characters he is he is a he is a very unlikable character at the beginning and then even in the middle like he becomes he becomes a feminist icon and it's you know the movie is trying to get me to swallow that like they need a man for feminism to work like it i don't know i just there's a lot of there's a the plot is something i can't reconcile in my brain mm-hmm. and that is a very and that makes the movie very hard to to really like i think some of the jokes are funny i think bill murray is really good you know i guess dustin hoffman's fine at being unlikable although it's weird like if i were to just like if i didn't know dustin hoffman if i haven't seen dustin hoffman movies and this was my first like foray into dustin hoffman movies Mm -hmm. like the first thing i would think of when i see like his mug is oh that guy's an ass Sure, sure. Um, so, although in, in in some cases I might be right from from what uh, 
some people have said about his his behavior like on set because he's a method actor i mean that's not and that that since we are not actors like i don't know if it's our place to say like you know how somebody else does their job is not really for us to say no but i mean if you have to be a if you have to be a jackass to people to get into character out of character then Mm, yeah maybe but you know but if that's also but you would also know that going in to work with him like okay i'm going to work with dustin hoffman and he's playing an unlikable character and i know he's a method actor which means that he will be unlikable to me and i shouldn't take it personally because this is how he works i mean maybe i i don't know like just because it's understood doesn't mean it's okay yeah again it's but like if you went to work if you went to work and people were like hey this guy at work the only way he can do his job correctly is every time you show up he kicks you in the nuts and then you show up and he kicks you in the nuts sure but it doesn't unless, mean it's but right I, but unless my job is to kick people in the nuts then like then then that, <laughs> like that's not that's not equivalent because that's you know like there are very few things that you know are there are very few jobs that are equivalent to yeah. to that yeah but i mean overall like the the supporting cast in this movie is really good and they do real they do such a good job you have the commissioner from uh police academy you have uh you have dennehy mm-hmm. uh, so like the supporting cast is really good and worth and worth the time it takes to watch the movie i feel the biggest problem with the movie is the script and dustin hoffman's character not necessarily dustin hoffman but definitely his character and that, which also and, goes yeah, to the and, script and i think that's that's most that's a that's a palmer taste thing more than a movie thing right cuz it's well established now that if a, the main character is I mean, unlikable all, you generally usually, don't like the but movie. in this instance uh given given the modern time frame and how much and even the you know how much our brains have evolved from the 1980s as far as like how feminism should be and work mm-hmm. i don't think this movie i think his character still is bad so yeah. like it like Actually, in one instance it is me, but in another instance it's also yeah, actually, the modern time. Frame. I found the end of the movie particularly troubling. Like I was like kind of with it for the whole. I was kind of with it for the whole film in both contexts. I was like, I see what the, I see what they're doing, and so I can go along for the the ride. And and the jokes are funny. Um, mm-hmm. and so the the cast is good, and they they play it up well. But um, but I but by the end, I guess spoilers for the end of Tootsie if you haven't seen it. So, but like he gets together with Jessica Lang. She like forgives him and she's like yeah all right like whatever let's do it i was like that just feels it feels like a tacked on like whiteboard ending we're like oh well we mm-hmm. got to get them together at the end and it, this didn't yeah. feel right in accordance with all the lessons learned in the film what the movie's about like all this stuff i'm like and then they're just like happily ever after like that doesn't that doesn't settle correctly with me um, agreed yeah. and i want to make it clear like i'm not saying i'm not saying like i dislike anybody who likes this film i'm not saying you know this is is definitely one of those instances where at the time it was it was probably fine you know i don't i didn't read anything controversial about it no i uh, even tried and, to look and this up is afterwards. just a movie that, yeah yeah and this is a movie that just doesn't age well because we as a society have progressed um but that's not to say like you shouldn't go watch this movie if it's something you're interested in you know it's definitely of its time and you you know you can always have the conversation of whether or not we should have been ahead of our time at that point but you know my my dislike for this is pure 
purely from watching it at this at this stage of my of my evolution as a person. Yeah, I mean, interesting if like the this is more of a philosophical question, but like, does the um does comedy change with the way like the like the forward momentum of the world, right? Because you know, like like cross like cross the cross dress joke it goes like goes far, like hundreds and hundreds of years back. Like it's it's almost like you can't hit a Shakespeare play without somebody else dressing up like a guy or a girl and like spying on somebody. I think of like every other episode of I Love Lucy where somebody's dressed as somebody to find something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so and so this like Tootsie kind of takes that and and as opposed to using it just for the joke, they try to do something. They try to do something with that. Um, they try to do something with that less like with that idea. And now we yes. and now we've progressed further away from that. So it's like a good in a lot of ways. Like Tootsie's a good stepping stone to like as opposed to something that's offensive. It's like a good start. Like started it, to move. It all depends on how it's it. And honestly, it all depends on how it's handled. Like I don't I don't really think if you were to watch uh, Mrs. Doubtfire now, like if you just if you just gave Mrs. Doubtfire to somebody who didn't grow up with it, didn't see it prior, it would. St- I think it would still be fine. I don't know because unfortunately my view is tainted because I watched it when it first came out. Don't say I didn't watch Tootsie. Don't say unfortunately. It's a good movie. Um, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like I can't I can't separate what I liked about it prior to now. Correct. Whereas I can easily with Tootsie. So I think it's definitely all depends on how it's handled. And I don't think Tootsie handled it correctly. Mm. You know, I think from a 2021 context, not from yeah. A I you know I think. You know, I don't really hear people decrying I Love Lucy, so there's that, you know, and, you know, it's, you know, there's stuff that goes back just as long, and that's blackface, and blackface isn't that's correct. necessarily a, a thing that should happen anymore. Yeah, or happen then, but you can only judge right. the past so much through, right. you know, because it, it happened, so, like, yeah, yeah. so, um, anyway, give me some fun facts on Tootsie. All the insane ways Dorsey gets fired or quits from a, from a production actually happens happened to Dustin Hoffman. That was actually a good montage. That was a good, that was a very good montage. Yeah. It was. Like, so can you die, you know, center stage, but I'm dying. But I'm dying over here. Why do I have to die center stage? <laughs> like, like you're telling me I don't have the energy to, like, I don't have the energy to talk, but I can get up and move <laughs> over and plop back down. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't it like a production about Tolstoy too? Yeah, it something? was. Yeah. Yeah. Producers hired Holly Woodlawn, a well-known transgender Puerto Rican actor and Andy Warhol superstar to coach Dustin Hoffman in the art of being a man who feels and acts like a woman. I will say I'm, that was a really good move on their part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. While being profiled for the director series, Cindy Pollack claimed that Dustin Hoffman refused to continue working on the film unless Pollock played his agent. Pollock refused to, refused up until Hoffman's agent, Michael Ovitz, intervened and Pollock reconsidered. He later agreed to play the role. The scenes featuring Hoffman and Pollock's characters were meant to reflect what happened behind the scenes between the two men when they would argue. In fact, Hoffman and Pollock quarreled so furiously during filming that they never did another film together. While they did discuss mending fences in order to work on Rain Man, ultimately Pollock declined to direct the director's spot for the film, leading
leading to the hiring of Barry Levinson. Yeah, they uh, they did not get along behind the camera at all. Clearly. In this movie. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, there you go. One, two, yep. there you go. Let's talk about E.T., the extraterrestrial, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Melissa Matheson, starring Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, and Peter Coyote, nominated for Best Picture, Director, Original Screenplay, Cinematography, and Editing. This movie won sound, visual effects, sound effects, and original score. Plot revolves around a troubled child who summons the courage to help a friendly alien escape Earth and return to his home world. Here's my fun fact. I had never seen E.T. before watching this uh, before this movie for the show. And how did you like it? I loved it. I, thought, yeah, I figured I, you would. I thought it was great. I was really surprised. It was a movie that I had even thought that I knew like a lot of the, like, the broad strokes. And so I was like, I don't know how enjoyable I'm going to find it in, in the grand scheme. Because I was like, oh, yeah, and, the shady government people are after them, yeah. blah, 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 and all this stuff. But and then, then it, you realize that it was directed by Sp- Steven Spielberg. So you'd be like, wait, no, this is my thing. Right. It's a twist. The government's good. Like, they're actually there to help. Like, I was, but then they're not. Like, and then they are. And then I was, uh, I was actually, I was pretty taken aback. I mean, the strength of the child stars are, are, are good. The strength of the kids are good. Spielberg was always and has always been good about finding, like, screen-worthy kids, you know, um, to, mm-hmm. to, to hold your, to hold your attention without, like, just tons of screaming. Um, looking at you, Goonies. <laughs> um, so, um... I believe that was produced by Spielberg. Yeah, it was, but he didn't direct it, and the Goonies uh, is great. It's so fun, but, like, they're at, like, a level nine intensity all the time. Like, everything is always loud and screaming in this, and then they just, like, ramp it up to 12, like, way past what... Yeah, so, but anyway. Um, and that doesn't really happen here, and I thought the... I thought the puppetry on E.T. was, was good. It was really nice cinematography it plays really well with a lot of darks and shadows to hide to hide et i loved not seeing government faces like you only see it's a lot of it's a lot of uh, medium shots but they're all lower to cut off like at the collarbone so they cut off the head um and so they're just like just a disembodied threat um and that's what makes like the turn so much better at that like when you're they're actually there to help and stuff like that so i really i enjoyed it i was surprised how much i liked it yeah. Um, I don't... So I've seen... I've definitely seen this movie prior. I saw it growing up. And I don't remember if I ever really liked it as a child. But I find it... I find this movie very tedious and boring. I can see if you're not taken with the fish-out-of-water antics of E.T., then the, this movie doesn't really have anything to offer you. I mean, the fish-out-of-water water antics are fine. Like, there's a lot of this movie that I respect and I like. But overall, I find the movie tedious and boring i think the fish out of water antics are funny i think the you know the special effects are really good and groundbreaking for the time Mm -hmm. i think the score is timeless like there's a lot to really like about this movie and i will say that i'm fine with its place in movie history and i'm even fine with its place as being nominated but that being said like if i'm just judging the movie as overall like i i think there could have been like this this movie could have been snappier so like but so that's like the biggest that's the biggest knock that i can give for this movie and, and it's and you found that and it's still kid, right that it should have been snappier was that something that you expressed i mean for trial? one i will say like i honestly don't know how kids sat through this movie because you're right like there's like there's times where like there's nothing going on like the stuff without et i can't see holding a 
child's attention. Mm. Um, and even like as an adult, like I'm here for ET. I don't really care about the children. Like I don't care about what's going on with it, with everybody Someone else. Please take up the children. No, no. <laughs> I'm just thinking of ET, who is apparently 10 million years old. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I can. I didn't. Again, I didn't see it as a kid, so I can't. Like I can't tell you. We, you know, the funny thing is, like we had it. We had it taped off a of TV. It was on yeah. the same tape as Star Wars. It was Star Wars: A New Hope, and then ET. And we always stopped it after Star Wars. I never went on to watch yeah. ET hilariously. Um, I will say this is also around the same time that this is that this is somewhat of a trend for kids' movies because, as you said, like this year, even there were two others that I feel are very much like that: Secret of Nim yep. and Dark Crystal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, how did this hold the child's attention? Movies, you mean? A, how did this hold the child's attention? In some cases, how did this not like because like Dark Crystal is considered like kind of like Black cauldron of like scarring children for life uh, another movie i've never seen never seen yeah it. never seen it um and then secret of nim you know is like i i don't think it's don bluth but it's definitely in the don bluth vein of like this is an animated movie with talking creatures that might or might not meet horrible it, horrible it is a don bluth vi- yeah story by see don bluth. so there yeah. you go like like the, nothing is gonna nothing good is gonna happen out of that movie no i'm looking at some of the pictures now i'm like oh my god oh i love the and I love his animation so much. Um, this is but they're, horrifying. They're definitely more. They're, yeah, they're they're definitely scarier for children. Why does that um, mouse or dog or something have bright yellow eyes? Why is it staring into my? Because it's evil. Oh my god! I need to watch so, this movie immediately. So yeah, like the stuff with ET is really good and fun, but I just don't care about anybody else. Yeah, I can understand. I can understand that, and I, I, I like that I hadn't seen it to this because I was like, I'm coming in fresh, like, and yeah. almost like it's working. Like the, I, the, um, you know, the reverentness of ET was working against it in some way, right? You know, being like, oh, it's ET, it's this, the hype, the hype, the hype, and so. But I was not dreading watching ET, but I was like, okay, like I'm gonna watch a movie that I've never really had any interest in seeing, and now right. I feel, and I do feel like I've robbed myself of watching ET for the past 30 some odd years so I don't know well you did yeah I did so but that's okay I've seen it now and I really enjoyed yeah. it um, from start to finish and you're right the score is the score is excellent so yeah um, give me some fun facts on E.T. most of the full body puppetry was performed by a 2 foot 10 inch tall stuntman but the scenes in the kitchen were done using a 12 year old boy who was born without legs but was an expert on walking on his hands huh yeah that's cool the end of the film was the most significant musical was one of the most significant musical experiences for composer John Williams. After several attempts were made to match the score to the film, Spielberg took the film off the screen and encouraged Williams to conduct the orchestra the way he would at a concert. He did, and Spielberg slightly re-edited the film to match the music, which is unusual since normally the music would be edited to match the film. The result was Williams winning the 1982 Academy Award for Best Original Score. He recreated this at his last appearance with the L.A. Philharmonic at the Hollywood Bowl in 2013, conducting the orchestra live while the last reel was shown on the Jumbotrons. Cool. Very cool. And the highest grossing movie of 1982. It became the most successful movie in history until when? Titanic. No. No, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. This is 1982, so it could be be Return of the Jedi. 
It could be Terminator 2. No, I was rated R. That wouldn't happen. Could be Jurassic Park. That is correct. I was actually unaware of this part. Like, I remember E.T. being the highest grossing movie of all time for many, many years. So, um, yeah, became the most successful movie in history until Steven Spielberg beat that record with Jurassic Park 1993. Released on the same day 11 years later, June 11th. In a strange coincidence, the next film to snatch the title was Titanic in 1997, only for James Cameron to outdistance himself with Avatar in 2009. Right. I will say there huh. this this fact um, is a little inaccurate because in between Jurassic Park and Titanic, they did the they did the special edition re-release of Star Wars. Oh yeah, and that bumped it. So up. Star Wars, um, yeah, Star Wars for a very brief period of time had that record. Gotcha. I can understand why that might not exactly count because it's the re-release. But if you start going down that rabbit hole of like yeah. yeah then then like you'd have the the number the number adjustments would be insane to try to get everything back like where does gone with the windfall when like you everyone will tell you tim that adjusted for inflation gone with the wind will always be the number one movie of all time yeah even though... every time a new film becomes the number one movie worldwide of all time everyone jumps out of the woodwork to say well if you adjust for inflation I don't care. Gone with the Wind was the only movie in the theater at the time and ran like 24 hours a day. This was the only entertainment you had during the time. It No, you already get, you all you don't get to adjust for inflation at that point. Yep, yep. I know, I know, I know. Hold on, I'm uh, I'm actually looking it up now. Um, oh, I know it's Gone with the Wind. For 25 years, adjust for inflation has earned more money than any other film, blah, blah, blah. I'm seeing, I'm seeing if that fact has actually become outdated now. Like if that actually. Oh, no, like it has it, not. It has not. It's no. still a thing. No, because whenever a new movie, because it's not like these movies change year over year. So every time a new movie becomes the number one movie Whoa, of all time. It's close, though. You ready for this? Adjusted for inflation. I have the adjusted for inflation list in front of yeah. me. Um, in 2020, adjusted for inflation, the highest grossing film of all time is Gone with the Wind with $3,739 right. Avatar with $3,286,000,000. Come on. We need $500 million to bump Gone with the Wind down a spot. They need to put Avatar back in the theaters uh, in America. In Amer- I was going to say, again, because it just bumped up a little bit. Actually, I wonder if that number's a little bit different now because of um, because it got bumped up in China. This is 2020s inflation. This is 2020s. Maybe. Um, so this might be this is this might be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, Titanic after that with 3.1 billion. Star Wars with 3 billion. Endgame with 2.8 billion. Ah, too bad. Endgame is in fifth. Yep. Sound of Music with 2.8 I suddenly like the adjusted for inflation numbers. Yeah, um, ET with two point five billion, The Ten Commandments with two point three billion, Doctor Zhivago with two point two billion, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens with two point two billion. A lot of sixties represented in there. Again, like this is you know yeah because those were like really big movies for the time and in a time where like it was only one movie every couple of months. Sure. Well, I mean that's not necessarily true, but yeah, and movies ran for longer. Right. Like ET, I didn't keep running. I didn't write it down, but E.T. holds the records for most for for longest theatrical run because it yes. was over a year. Yeah, and it and it keep and because like they count like when it goes back into theaters, they like add. No, 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 this was just like uninterrupted, uh, uninterrupted run over. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, there you go. So, Gone with the Wind, Avatar, Titanic, Star Wars, and Avengers.
Avengers Endgame top five. Well, one, two, there you go. Um, was that three fun facts? Yep, we're one, on to Gandhi. Wonderful. Let's talk about Gandhi, directed by Richard Attenborough, written by John Briley, starring Ben King, Ben Kingsley, Candace Bergman, Edward Fox, Martin Sheen, John Mills, and John Geeland. Um, not Geel Good, sorry. Um, nominated by uh, nominated for sound, original score, and makeup. This movie won Best Picture. Actor for Kingsley, director, original screenplay, cinematography, art direction, costume design, and editing. This is about the life of Gandhi, who was a uh, who was a lawyer who became the famed uh, leader of the um, peaceful Indian revolts uh, to, against the British government through his philosophy of nonviolent protests. I had seen Gandhi before. This was not a first for me, um, but it had been many years since I had seen it, and I was shocked at how much I actually remembered from watching it 20 years ago. Um, and I thought it was wonderful. I think the film is very smart at the beginning to say you can't squeeze somebody's whole life into one movie so we did our best to give you the broad strokes and more the feeling of Gandhi than the historical um, than the historical priming like the like Richard mm-hmm. Attenborough was smart and said this is a movie it's not a history book right so we're going to give you the Welcome feeling to Park. right yeah we're going to give you the feeling of Gandhi and like, like how the world sees him as opposed to like Gandhi the person which is a fault and a triumph of the movie where you're like you see Ben Kingsley and you're like yeah that's Gandhi that's what I that's what I think that's what I want that's how I feel and but then also knowing that that's like that's the the like the saintly Gandhi the the way that the world sees and thinks about him as opposed to um as opposed to the historical Gandhi I guess yeah it's it's the Avita syndrome it is it is the Avita syndrome or it's like the it's almost like the Ten Commandments in that way right like this is not the historical Moses this is Moses Moses you know I give you these commandments it'll take 45 minutes for God to carve them and we will watch every second of it. <laughs> um, so it's yeah it's more the uh, the emotional resonance um, but I think friggin Ben Kingsley is just Ben Kingsley he's so good yeah he's really good in this and this movie is like 20 hours long it's a little and, over 3 hours uh, but... and while I watched it mm-hmm. in chunks um, I would still say like even if you sat down and watched it I don't know if I would really feel the time like I feel this movie does really good at keeping a decent pace for the for the length of movie that it is mm-hmm. um, which is not something you can easily say in a in a 80 hour movie no and especially one that doesn't really give you the time stamps like it like it starts with his assassination and then and then yeah you know uh, and spoiler then, Gandhi died yeah right um so and then you know and then we we come back we we bookend and come back to that to that moment um later and so uh I so um I completely lost my train of thought you say something uh, now I can just think about trains oh think about trains you forgot your flash drive you forgot your last <laughs> um, So this movie like does really good job of using the landscapes that it shoots on. It you know it for for a uh, for a country that every time you see it like looks very dirty and run down. Unfortunately, like I'm thinking of like say some Slumdog Millionaire mm-hmm. and that like while it has that kind of look here, it still looks visually beautiful at the same time. Um, yeah, well, I mean that's in a lot. That's the Attenborough does a really good job at at 
seeing like this is it gives us two Indias, right? It gives you colonial British India and it gives you and it gives you native India and it yeah. wants you to see the difference and it was so to feel that you're like, okay, so like this is this is the opulence, this is this is um you know, Anglo colonialization and how like and why these people are fighting for their home and how the that opulence doesn't matter because this is their home. And I, yeah. I, I like and it, it doesn't really go, I think the film does a really good job at not pandering to its audience. Like it well that's what I was gonna say. It doesn't give you its time stamp. So you like you have to kind of figure out that time is moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because it kind of gives you the the big moments of Gandhi's um it gives you the big moments of of Gandhi's life. It starts with him as as um a lawyer in South Africa, you know, facing racism facing facing racism there. And then that kind of spirals into like like revolt against British control of British control of India. Um yeah, I thought it was it has been and continues to be pretty marvelous even if it's a I don't know, clean, maybe not, maybe not be the right word, but it's kind of like a, it's, it's, it's like a soft focus like mm-hmm. film, you know, like, yeah. you know, almost rose colored or rose colored lenses kind of thing. But, um, you know, but it, 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 we don't, um, we also don't shy away from, um, we don't, we're not shying away from, you know, some of the, maybe the grosser parts of, um, um, colonization, you know, colonialization and stuff like that. It was good. It, it, yeah. I, yeah. I found it really good. And also good that Richard Attenborough, was like not it's he's decidedly not pro-british like in this film you know what i mean like he doesn't be like oh well you know they were just doing their jobs or something like that right you know like he's you know he he gives he's he's very he is definitively picked aside and it's gandhi's so yeah i like that all right yeah okay do you know what I mean? th- okay you know nothing else to say all right not really like i i really enjoyed the film but i don't have much to say about it okay That's... like it's just one of those okay over three hundred thousand extras appeared in the funeral sequence. About 200,000 were volunteers and 94,560 were paid a small fee under contract. The sequence was filmed on January 31st, 1981, the 33rd anniversary of Mohandas Gandhi's funeral. Eleven crews shot over 20,000 feet of film, which was pared down to two minutes and five seconds in the final release. Wow. After plans for the films were announced, Sir Richard Attenborough held a press conference in Delhi for the India media. There was much concern expressed about how Gandhi, a virtual deity to many Indians, would or should be portrayed on screen. One female journalist seriously suggested that Gandhi should only be shown as a brilliant white light moving across the screen. An exasperated Attenborough snapped back, Madam, I am not making a film about bloody Tinkerbell. <laughs> Love Richard Attenborough. <laughs> During the funeral scene, Sir Richard Attenborough sensed that the estimated 300,000 extras were becoming bored and restless. He turned to his trusted assistant directed David Tomlin and whispered, David, I think the crowd should spend a moment contemplating Gandhi's life and what his death means to India at this moment. Tomlin immediately stood up and bellowed into his megaphone, Right, listen up. Gandhi's dead. You're all sad. Roll cameras. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There is nothing like making a movie, truly. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay, so anyway, that was your three, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so you can find us on Academy Rewind uh, on Twitter and Gmail, but we don't check it, so don't bother, and not Facebook, but on AcademyRewind.com. You can rate and review us on iTunes and find us all the places podcasts can be found, including Overcast and Spotify and all and iTunes and... And Spotacast and, and Spotacast Overpod. And Overpod and Podbean and Beanpod and Caster, Caster 
extra oil and you know all this different stuff. <laughs> so, um, so uh, you can um, you can support us at patreon.com slash thought bubble audio and check out thoughtbubbleaudio.com for all other thought bubble audio shows. Palmer, are you ready to do the 1983 rewindies? Yes, wonderful. Um, going starting with supporting actor, who is your best supporting actor? Uh, I'm going to go with Jack Lemon. Jack Lemon. Oh, even though he was the star, I see what you did there because I don't know show if up he was the star later. though. He's yeah. Jack Lemon. I'm going to go with James Mason for the verdict. Yeah, yeah, because um, he was fine. He was good. Supporting actress. Uh, supporting actress. I'll go with um, Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. I'm going with Terry Gar um, for for Tootsie. Same movie, different mm-hmm. actress. Um, because she truly was a supporting actress, and she supported everyone. She did a good job. Production design. Gandhi. Gandhi. I agree. Costume design. Gandhi. Gandhi. Uh, makeup and hairstyling. Not Gandhi. Ooh, interesting choice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he was bald. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will. G- I will go with uh, E.T. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Gandhi um, because it was the makeup as well as the hairstyling. That counts as yeah. that counts Well, they as made up somebody to look like, a, to look like E.T. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. True story. Uh, fine. Um, music? E.T. E.T. Like, that's <laughs> not even that a... That was the question, so obviously we're choosing E.T. What else? <laughs> um, visual effects? E.T. E.T. I agree. Uh, cinematography? Gandhi. Um, I'm going to choose E.T. for that one. I feel like there was a, there was a lot of interesting choices, and so I'm going to go with E.T. Um, editing? The Miss. The missing, okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Gandhi for this one just because, like, it's very difficult to like to pin his whole life together fluidly. Yeah, without yeah, telling that me, was a close that, that's me. like that was really really smart editing. Um, sound, et et uh, as for me as well. Best actor, Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley for Gandhi, excellent. Um, oh, for people who are wondering, Ben uh, Ben Kingsley is half Indian. Um, because like yes. my, my wife watched Gandhi with me and she was like, "Why is Ben Kingsley playing Gandhi? That feels like a choice that should." have been made like she's like not that yeah, he wasn't no, good he but is, like it's kind of he like, is part he, he is part he indian. is part indian um yep and uh best actress i'm gonna give to jessica lang for tootsie what are you doing uh, actress uh sissy spacek sissy spacek okay best writing the missing the missing i'm gonna give it to gandhi and then best picture what are you giving it to <sighs> The missing, the missing. Whoa! Really? Yeah, like I nothing to take away from Gandhi, and at this point, it just came down to like which movie would I watch again? Sure. Yeah. And while I probably would be fine watching Gandhi again if I had my choice, I would watch The Missing again. Interesting. Okay. It's a it's a very close one and two for me, and I also think the 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 intrigue behind the movie mm-hmm. helps out The Missing in this case. Cool. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So like choice that was made. Uh, I'm going to give it to Gandhi for the opposite reasons of what you said, where I don't really ever want to watch The Missing again, but I would watch (laughs) Gandhi again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, very good. Up next, 1973, we have Deliverance, The Emigrants, Sounder, Cabaret, and The Godfather. Man, that's going to be a tough year. I wonder wonder what's going to (laughs) win. I think it's Sounder. I think it's Sounder as well. All right. Well, um, that's it for us, which is good because they're playing us off. No, I have some more people to thank. Too bad. Bye. Bye.